Hello, and welcome to Love the Game, Live the Dream. Join me, your host, Nick Holmes, and my array of guests as we prove to you that you don't have to be a Hall of Fame player, a first-round draft pick, or even a high school standout, for that matter, to have a successful career in the sport of baseball. This podcast is brought to you by World Baseball Experience. Love the Game, Live the Dream is an entertaining yet insightful look at some of the baseball world's brightest and most talented minds. You're going to hear the life stories, struggles, and triumphs of everyday coaches, scouts, executives, and even entrepreneurs that are making their mark in baseball and in life by pursuing their passion and love of the greatest game on earth. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy Love the Game, Live the Dream. Hey gang, how's everybody doing? Welcome back. I know it's been a while since I've cranked out an episode here. Uh, I also know every friggin' marketing strategist out there is going to tell me that my consistency sucks. Well, I get it. It's tough. I'm working on it. All right, one of these days I'll be able to do nothing but this podcast, but until that day comes, I'll continue to grind out this day job of developing coaches and molding young lives into respectable future leaders. You know what we do here. So anyway, I'm back. This is an episode that I recorded back during spring training, and I've been waiting since then to get it out. Pretty excited about it. Uh, For those of you that have not been following what's been going on lately in Major League Baseball, uh, my first question is, why the hell not? I'll just go ahead and fill you in. to what is been what has been going on and what's been going on more specifically in the National League West uh, with a record of 60 and 30 and a win percentage of the 670 the Los Angeles Dodgers are now the best team in baseball and I know there's a lot of Dodger haters out there that's fine you guys can argue uh, all you want about who the best team in baseball is and you can say it's only the halfway point and oh yeah they choked in the World Series twice okay fair enough But I also know there's a lot of Dodger fans out there that are listening to this show primarily because they know um, that I love the the Dodgers and their friends and families. Uh, Or a lot like uh, some of my other guests that have been on this show, they are from the beaches in the valley of the beautiful baseball mecca that is Southern California. So here's a few quick stats or interesting facts about this year's group of Dodger talent. So first off, we have the Dodgers have had five players make their major league debuts this this season so far. So up to the halfway point, five guys have made their debut. Three of those guys each had a walk-off home run on back-to-back-to-back nights. That's right. Three separate rookies, three separate nights, walk-off home runs. Uh, Just incredible. And then two nights after that, Cody Bellinger became the fifth hitter in a row to draw a walk with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. That's right. Dodgers were trailing two to three in the bottom of the ninth when the inning started. Greg Holland, the usually uh, lights out closer for the Diamondbacks, comes in, gets two quick outs. Then he proceeded to walk the bases loaded uh, before walking in the tying run and then passing the ball over to TJ McFarlane who wanted in on some of the action as well, almost hits Bellinger twice, ends up walking him to lose the game. Pretty nuts. Uh, Five walks in a row. So that's like Little League shit. Fast forward to last night. Well, actually, this was a couple nights ago. And Holland does it again. I guess he still hadn't recovered from his hangover. And he blows another save in the ninth, 
by giving up a leadoff double to, to Kike Hernandez, who ends up scoring the tying run off of uh, – uh, I forget who it was. I think Beatty's the one that knocked him in. Um, but then it didn't take long. Johan Lopez comes out of the bullpen, had one out and one ball on Cody Bellinger when he crushes the next pitch like 445 feet or 442 feet uh, that gave him another walk-off in, his, in back-to-back nights. So just crazy, crazy stuff going on there at Dodger Stadium. And that was their fifth walk-off home victory in, in five in a row. Uh, and then they, I think they lost the next night to the Padres to snap that. But what's crazy, my favorite stat has to be the amount of homegrown, farm-raised, scouted and drafted players that are currently on the 40-man roster and the 25-man roster. So check this out. On the 40-man roster, there are 22 homegrown Dodger players, okay? 16 of those 22 are on the 25-man roster. That's incredible. That means nine players out of that entire roster did not come up through the ranks, they were free agents or trades, right? That is insane. The next closest team with that many homegrown players is, um, I think, uh, well, you know what? Who cares? doesn't matter. I guarantee it's not more than 16. Um, the reason I tell you all this is not because I follow the Dodgers and have ever since I was uh, eight years old when I first uh, saw the 1978 World Series and everyone in my class was pulling for the stinking Yankees. And I wanted to be different, of course, so I was going for the Dodgers. And I've been a fan of them ever since. Anyway, so the reason why I talk about this, again, is that my next guest on the show today has a lot to do with what's going on in that farm system. His name is Sean Larkin, and he is the coordinator of skills development for the Los Angeles Dodgers, has one of the coolest jobs in all of baseball. I'll give you a little background on how we met. The beauty of being a part of this specialized field of work is the number of great people that I get to meet through other great people. Uh, It's a small fraternity of men and women that basically feed off of each other uh, and share all their triumphs and failures. And we all understand that one introduction could change your path dramatically. Uh, My good friend Pete Caliendo, who was on episode eight of Love the Game, Live the Dream, check that out, suggested that I meet Sean and have him on my podcast after he interviewed him for his podcast. So I listened to that episode. I immediately reached out to Sean. I had to hear from this guy. I had to find out more about his journey and how he was able to land such a sweet job. After talking to him for 10 minutes, uh, we immediately connected the dots as always, shared a list of friends and acquaintances through the game. Um, And again, if you've been following this podcast, you will note that many of my guests are from the SoCal area, uh, partly because I lived and worked there for so many years, but also partly because it's one of the hottest baseball beds on the planet. And Sean is a highly intelligent baseball mind, man, totally down to earth, Cali boy at the same time. He's got a very upbeat personality. And as you listen to him, he's got a ton of energy and, you know, just an infectious smile that you can kind of see through the phone as he's talking. I'm really excited that I got to meet him and I look forward to the day when we actually get to meet in person. So this is one of my favorite episodes because we got to talk about about the changes that are happening within the game uh, now with the heavy fascination and the implementation of metrics and data and all this uh, bringing more quote-unquote gurus uh, from the social media worlds into MLB organizations and um, we talk about things like designing a better practice plan we talk about understanding your players first before you can teach them anything uh, Sean talks to us about how the game is changing in all areas from scouting to development and and a bunch of other uh, baseball and non 
non-related baseball stuff. Uh, so we got some good, important shit to talk about here um, on Love the Game, Live the Dream. So you know what to do. Crank up the headphones, grab something cool to drink, uh, maybe a sandwich, whatever. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Dodger Skills Coordinator Sean Larkin. So where are you right now? Uh, I'm in my office in Dallas, Texas. In my You're in Dallas, house. okay. Just That's outside Dallas, so McKinney. So yeah, we're North Texas, just north uh-huh. of Dallas, about a half an hour. And uh, is that it, where man. you? So that's where you live full time. That's home. Yeah, this is our home, man. Yeah, we moved out to Texas about two years, two and a half years ago now, and bought a house a year and a half ago, and we're here, man. Uh, just a, a good, uh, good point of reference, a home base for our, our, our young family, and uh-huh. it's time to have at least somewhere to settle. This is, I'll tell you what, this is our first year. We've only been married for what, almost six years now, but this is our first year. Um, having back-to-back Christmases in the same house, which was, wow. which was pretty, which felt good. Uh, I, especially for me traveling my whole life, um, to have something a little more consistent now, man. And uh, yeah. a really nice area. And yeah, we're, we're settled in. Yeah. I know the feeling, man. Uh, my, uh, my wife and I were the same way. We, we did five years in Costa Rica before moving here to Vancouver Island. Yeah, dude. Yeah. We were on yeah. honeymoon. Where'd you guys live? Uh, we lived in Tamarindo on the Pacific side. Um, yeah, total. Is that Guan? Tourist. Is that Guan Coste? Is that? Yep, Guan Coste. Yeah, that's right. Dude, we stayed at the Flamingo Resort. Um, oh yeah, right down the road. Dude, we, we we looked at condos right around that area. And like, this, why why wouldn't we? And dude, I'm telling you, it, it comes up often about living there. Yeah. Like, how do you enjoy living there as a resident and I mean the day to day year round thing? I tell you what, there's a famous saying in that place that says, uh, we make easy hard. (laughs) I I refer to it as a, it's not really a third world country. It's like a two and a half world country. Yeah, it it, it was beautiful, man. I mean, I I learned a lot. We downsized, you know, we came from California. We were living in Sherman Oaks at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just, you know, you know how expensive it is from California. You're born and raised there. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you know, I want to get back to that too about your transition and how you chose Texas, but we'll get to that. Uh, yeah, we just, uh, we just needed a change. You know, it's funny. I was kind of forced to make a decision. I was, you know, we talked yesterday about getting tired of being in the academy and doing the, you know, the lessons mm-hmm. in the cage all day and grinding it out, you know, seven days a week. And uh, so we started to, you know, get into, I'll give you the quick version. I had an interview with, uh, with the Minnesota Twins to, uh, to be the area scout there. And you know how it is in SoCal, man. I mean, you got to wait for someone to die or retire before yeah. you. Well, it's a good job, man. I mean, come yeah, on. No one, no one yeah. wants to leave that area. So no way. You know, here I was a young scout trying to get uh, young in scouting, not young in age. Right. Living preface that. so trying yeah. to get my foot in the door into the you know the hottest bed there is and and it just you know I kept get coming up short you know I'd get to the second third mm-hmm. round of interviews with a team and then I'd lose out to whatever reason of course they never tell you mm-hmm. but uh, I said to my wife I said look this is it right here if I get this job with the twins we're staying here and uh, we my daughter was just born was walking around the park at Sherman Oaks Park one day and happened to kind of stop and was over here in a conversation with some moms that were there with their strollers. And I was with my stroller, you know, their new dad there. And I overheard them say <laughs> something about getting on a waiting list for preschool, Sean. And I said, what? God. We yeah. have to get on a waiting list. Wait, I don't know. I just, what, how do we do this? You know, like I had no yeah, idea. About yeah. She's, yeah. you know, my daughter was six months old. I'm like, you guys are already talking about 
a preschool in three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went home to my wife and said, I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if I can, you know, play this, this education game here in this town and rat race, and yeah. rat race yeah. in it and, and everything yeah. else. And so I said, if I don't get this job with the twins, we should make a move. And we'd always talked about mm-hmm. going to Costa Rica. Um, yeah. So we just, we did it, man. We made it happen. And what turned out is that I didn't get the job with the twins, but I did create a position with the Texas Rangers. Mike Daly liked what I had put together and said, if you want to head down to Central America and find us a guy, let's do it. So I covered Nicaragua, Costa Rica for them for about 18 months. That turned into a job with the Costa Rican national team. So I managed them okay. for another another nice. two years. And but anyway, man, this is this is your interview, not my interview, buddy. <laughs> Dude, Nicaragua. So I lived in Nicaragua for about four months in Winterball. I lived in Leon. Did you play there? Uh, I coached for the Leon Leones de Leon. Um, yeah. I didn't even have a team there. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, we played with Bo- Boer and Chinadega. Yeah, and a couple other. There's only four or five teams, whatever it was. But yeah, I lived, I lived there for four months, and then yeah, the Costa Rica thing with the honeymoon, man. So yeah, we've been the same places, dude. That's crazy, man. Uh, How did you? Like I Nicaragua? know. I love Nicaragua. I love. I love Leon. Um, I really did enjoy it. I, w- I would do. It. I just don't know if there's enough opportunity and enough reason well, to, to live there. You know, and that's that's kind of back to what you asked about living there as a as a resident and trying to to make things work. It is it is pretty difficult um, to earn a living unless you you have an idea for a business, you know. And then you know yeah, where we were in Tampa, a restaurant or internet well, there's, or internet business or like a bar restaurant. Yeah, it, yeah, or some. I mean, we actually we started a surf tours or. Yeah, there's a lot of that. We started a destination uh, flower business, a wedding business. We were doing, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. We were doing uh, working with wedding planners and you know bringing in the flowers from from San Jose and and all that good stuff and setting up uh, weddings. My my family's uh, fourth generation is where I'm at uh, with with uh, with the flower business and oh wow. So we we had a little bit of experience and uh, my wife mm-hmm. wanted to do something fun so she she trained back with my family in the midwest and then we we went back there and did that for about three and a half of the five years we were there and we could survive between that and me taking my, you know, baseball gigs here that were, well, you know how mm-hmm. that is. It's all seasonal. So yeah, you get, get a job for six months and then you're starving the other six and trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to get into yeah. that. Man, I, I'm looking at your yeah. journey and I'm just, I'm really, uh, really inspired and uh, impressed with uh, your track and, and uh, the route that you've taken on it, but oh, who knows, right. man? Maybe maybe one day uh, we'll uh, we'll get an opportunity to to meet back down in Costa Rica, and I'll I'll show you around my yeah. old stomping grounds. And- that would be well. We don't need to tell us twice, man. We're in. Yeah. Hell yeah. You said you have two kids. Oh, six months and I two do. years, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're right in the fire. That's oh, right. Yeah. yeah, you're not going anywhere for a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not if you don't have to. Yeah. Now, now, well, so, now, now it's more challenging. <laughs> yeah, and now it sounds like just like what you're saying, you're pretty excited to be embedded in, in Texas where you are. And it, Man, we're here. We're here. So it's, yeah, so tell me how you got there. Is your is your wife from there? or what? what no, she's my wife from Yorba Linda. I'm, so, I'm sorry, La Mirada. La Mirada. She's killed yeah. if I got it wrong. La Mirada. <laughs> um, born and raised there. We went to Whittier Christian, the whole thing. Um, uh-huh. So both Southern California natives and... We didn't meet till long down the road, but basically when it came, when we had our first son, we had Kaysen, we lived in Arizona, and we weren't sure that we wanted to raise our family in Arizona, just for different reasons and opportunity and just wasn't really our speed there. So we mm-hmm. we looked at the map, the United States map, and just basically started picking out 
states and cities that we thought we would fit our lifestyle and for what we wanted for down the road for education for our kids, the whole thing. Um, yep, in there, man. I hear you. Or whatever. Yeah, whatever it was. Yep. So we just started narrowing it down. We you know, started with like seven or eight and just whittled that down to two or three. And then next thing you know, the more we came back to Texas and more specifically the Dallas area, the more and more it made sense for us and our growing family and for her job and her career. And uh, we just mm-hmm. did it. We sold our house in, in Arizona and basically basically sight unseen with where we live for sure it was um and packed up the u-haul man she she flew with case and i drove a u-haul truck with a buddy of mine trailing me and we mm-hmm. met up at a, at a, at a basically an apartment complex that we i'd never knew one of the seen before and here we are man a year and a half later after that we, yeah. we bought a house in mckinney and we're we're, we're doing it so right. yeah it's, it's cool yeah what does she do She's a board certified behavior analyst. Um, so she works with right now. She works with kids with developmental disabilities, uh, mostly with autism. Um, mm-hmm. But she's a behavior specialist and master's degree. She's got her licensure and again board certified. Super smart with the realm of behavior, which has got me really interested in it and how yeah. it overlaps with with coaching and sport and, and skill development and practice design. So we're really overlapping those two expertises together. That's with great. my experiences, my degrees, and it's been a really cool ride, man. And again, like the, we're, we can go anywhere in the world, basically, that we want, especially the United States. And uh, and then we, she's really interested, obviously, in sports, and I'm interested in behavior. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the marriage has been obviously really cool. And then the marriaging of the of the experiences and her expertise is, um, has been a lot of fun, too. Was she an athlete, too? She played basketball. She played okay. basketball in high school. Um yeah, so she and but she she's loved baseball her whole life. Her dad's a big Dodger fan, so she grew up watching baseball, all the sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were we were dating early on in our marriage before kids, of course. You know, she she usually knew more about what was going on in baseball for sure. Um, college sports, you know, she'd kill me in any college bracket we do. She'd win. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she's she's been a big sports fan her whole life, so that's been been a lot of fun for us. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. All right. Awesome, man. Let's, uh, where, so Garden Grove is where you were mm. born and raised, or were you just born there and then you guys moved? Tell me a little bit about mom and dad and, and what they did. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents were divorced when I was young, so about five or six. Um, and we just stayed, my mom and I just stayed in the central Orange County area. She remarried uh, when I was mm-hmm. about uh, eight or so. And yeah, so Garden Grove in Cypress was where I called home all through mm-hmm. all the way through high school with the Cypress Junior College. Um, so we stayed in that Cypress area. Uh, La Quinta High School, Cypress Junior College, and then Texas Tech from there, from Cypress. That Texas mm-hmm. Tech for a year and a half. And that was kind of where my experience in Texas started. There it is. There's your I, first year. Yeah, a little bit, my experience there. And then I, um, they, had, they, had, they were on probation scholarship wise and stuff. It's a longer, deeper story. And it's going back to Northridge. Uh, I was there for what, the 2001 spring and then the 2002 fall and spring. So that's, and that's where I got drafted out of Northridge and mm-hmm. that professional career started from there. But, uh, any siblings? That, that's, I have a half sister, a stepsister, and a stepbrother who passed away when we were in high school or, or in college, but almost 20 years ago now. But, so yeah, half sister. She's got three kids. Um, a stepsister who's married. They they all they live in Arizona. My stepsister lives in San Diego with her husband. So we're all we're all scattered. Here's a funny story for you. So my Hit wife me. and I lived in Arizona. We lived in Arizona, like I mentioned earlier. And 
we bought a house in a little community called Verado, West West Phoenix in Buckeye, but a nice a nice golf community. Um, and we were selling my family, my mom, stepdad, sister, brother in law on Verado. You guys gotta come. You guys gotta come. We love it here. We gotta come. You gotta come. No, 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 Sean. We like we like Southern California. Everyone's here. Okay. So we finally get around to convincing them to move <laughs> to Arizona. They're gonna do it. They're in. Uh, and about a week before, they actually physically moved to Arizona in the exact same community we lived in. We were packing our stuff and leaving and coming to Texas. So <laughs> we feel really bad about that in a way, kind of. Um, but that's how the world goes. Sometimes you got to take care of our family first. So. Sure. That's why we're that's why we're scattered <laughs> a little bit wow. now. Uh, yeah. Arizona, uh, Texas, California, but that's kind of that's kind of a brief rundown of my plane experience and, and living experiences. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Would you? Uh, well, how should I say? I guess who was responsible for introducing you to the game? When did you start uh, start playing? Are you a t-baller all the way up? Oh uh, yeah, I, I think I, my mom signed me up for t-ball. Okay. Uh, I think at four. I think that the age was five. I, I, I missed the cutoff by a couple months, whatever it was. I was too young, and she can. I believe she convinced them to <laughs> let me play because she felt I was really good, and I was. Um, she said, "Watch you know, him I was hit." Really good. <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, I hit in the front yard with my dad, and yeah. there was something there, and I loved it. And uh, I think she convinced uh, them to let me play. So mm-hmm. four or five years old is when it all started, man. T ball and. I haven't taken uniform off since. So. Since then, that's great, man. What yeah. uh, What did pops do? Or is he still working? Is he retired? So yeah, my dad. So my dad, he he owned an oak furniture business for 25, 35 years or something. Wow. You know, entrepreneur and just you know, on the peak of the you know early nineties and early two thousands, okay. did did really really well in the oak furniture business. Um, yeah, especially so, in Orange you know, County. Uh, yeah, he was at Marino. He went to the, he went to the Inland Empire, he went to Marino Valley. So before it started to pop, so he got in there cheap, and then it exploded out there. And he had the furniture for everybody moving in, <laughs> you know. Nice. Uh, and that, yeah. yeah, and then when it turned, when the economy turned, though, the housing stuff went crazy. Obviously, the furniture business went the other way. Couple mm-hmm. of that with the you know the major IKEAs and everybody else that kind of pushed them out, and he ended up moving. He actually had moved out to Lake Havasu. He's retired now. He he was doing like Ace Hardware or something in the meantime, but now he's yeah he's retired. Uh, my mom right. ran a daycare for twenty five thirty years. Man, huh. a house full of kids. Uh, That's you know, what my mom did. Kids a, yeah, <laughs> that's um, funny. But I learned a lot from her just watching how to, I mean, manage that many kids. Um, but yeah. ultra ultra patient and un- unbelievable person. And then, you know, she ran out of the house, and that's what I solved most of my life for running a daycare out of out of the house and. Yeah, man. And that's kind of the experiences so you, I've had with them. So not only you had uh, your siblings, but you had a bunch of other kids that probably yeah. were, you were around just as much as your brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, for sure. Especially as we're you know younger, you know, before yeah. our preteen years, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven, whatever it was, we had. She watched a couple of boys about the same age. So yeah, we, my, me, and my stepbrothers, had beat up on them pretty good, and then uh, <laughs> we had our, our neighborhood friends too. So there was always some sort of activity. Uh, going on outside, um, pick up football, baseball, whatever it was, wiffle ball, man, basketball. Yeah. We were always swimming, something, something competitive. Um, and that that's, yeah, we, we live in a different time, of course, and yeah. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we uh, we still refer to them as the babysitting kids now that uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, yeah, all, yeah. we're all older and, yeah. you know, my brothers and sisters yeah. 
I'm the oldest of seven and we're a blended family as well. You know, a couple mm-hmm. half, a couple mm-hmm. step, a couple mm-hmm. this, that. And mm-hmm. whenever we get together, we talk, you know, the old stories of that, the babysitting yeah. kid. Remember that kid? The babysitting yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Same thing, man. For yeah. Sure. So uh, let's see. So you went to La, La Quinta High School? Right. At yeah. La Quinta, La Quinta High School in Westminster. Yep. And uh, did you play football, basketball, baseball, or did you go strictly? So, coach, you know, Coach Demarest wasn't a big fan of cross sports. Man, we 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 were, we were a baseball school. You know, it was a, a public school, but that was built into a powerhouse for our division. Um, a lot of transfers. I was I was actually supposed to go to Pacifica High School. I transferred to La Quinta. Gerald Laird had a long big league career. He was supposed to go to Rancho Alamitos. He transferred to La Quinta, and we kind of started this trend of transferring in. I think. Our senior year of our, we only had 12 players on the team. Of us, of our starting nine, I believe only one or two were supposed to actually go to La Quinta. Um, so it was a, always a motley crew of transfers and we had beat up teams, man. A lot of fun. Nice. Um, so with that said, we were all baseball oriented, baseball minded, really good athletes. If you brought up basketball or football, well, that was going to cross over the fall ball and that wasn't going to cut it. So there was a riot act that was read. He never said don't, but it, it was, Strongly encouraged not to. Yeah. But again, we were there. To, we were there to play baseball, man. And so I didn't. Um, and I probably didn't want to, anyways. We our football team was terrible. I probably got my head knocked off by somebody else. So it's yeah. probably a good idea I wasn't on the field. <laughs> uh, so no, we, we were we were baseball, man. It's been full go baseball since I was probably a sophomore in high school is when I stopped playing football, and it was it was on. Yeah, it took me about oh four practices in football you know four football practices as a freshman before i decided yeah this is uh this is yeah. gonna hurt a lot uh <laughs> I, think I, I think i cracked two ribs the first time i carried yeah. the ball you know it's just like yeah. okay yeah. i'm fast but i'm not strong so they if they catch you you're in trouble yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was that was about the same time I said yep looks like baseball is gonna be the sport so you get through there and you did did you get drafted out of high school or I did it, man. I was what okay. five seven five five six five seven one forty five. Kid at run uh-huh. wasn't quite as strong as I'd got had gotten to down the road. Um, so no, okay. I, you know, I was you know all conference player, all county, all 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 front yard, all backyard, all the accolades, right? But not sure. quite uh, probably physically ready or probably even socially for Division One athletics mm-hmm. or you know the major universities thing. Got a you know got a bunch of letters, but nothing that came to fruition. So sure. that was uh, Cypress Junior College. For Coach JC. Pickler, who just gotten yeah, who just went into the ABC Hall of Fame this past year, and yeah. uh, two two phenomenal years there. Um, from from a, from a obviously from a team standpoint with our with our teams at Cypress, where we were loaded to the summer ball playing experience. Um, I still have my fa- my you know my host families from summer ball are still I'm still in touch with. So the, good quality two years on and mm-hmm. off the field at Cypress um, with Coach Pickler who was instrumental in my whole career. Um, not only there, but after that also. So yeah, we did the Cypress college thing for two years, got my associate's degree and we kept moving, man. And then you went to Texas tech after that. We did. We went there and, uh, and back to Northridge. Yeah. 75% of scholarship. I, I went there and I had gone on a bunch of recruiting trips. It was in, I was in a good position going into my sophomore year. It was, it was basically where, where did I want to go? And it was either sign early or all the coaches saying, hang on, we don't have the money right now. Just hang on and wait. We'll get to you in the spring. Uh, I, I like security. I like to know where I'm going. I like to know where I'm doing. So I 
committed early to Texas Tech, and I'd been warned that they were on academic probation at the time, the whole athletic department. Mm-hmm. And I had asked them that question, and they said it wasn't going to affect me. And, you know, I hit third, hit over 300, the whole thing. And at the end of the year, it was like, hey, we're going to cut your scholarship to 50%. Well, I don't come for much money. Out-of-state fees, that wasn't going to work. So I went back in the fall. We were going to try to. Well, over the Christmas break, it was going to go back to zero because they, they, what, they, what was happening was, you know, they were, they were hand-strapped. They were handing out scholarships to junior college transfers coming in, taking the money away from seniors. So if you banking on the juniors getting drafted. Right. And we didn't. I, I didn't get drafted a lot of it. So what they were doing was taking our money, giving it to the promised money to the juniors coming in. The transfers, and that was a cycle they were running. So I, I could, I, we couldn't make it work, man. It was too expensive. I, I it was burnt out. Um, it didn't feel right there anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I got my red shirt, transferred back to California, ended up getting a full scholarship to Northridge. And man, probably what a great the best find. decision. Oh uh, man, it was a diamond in the rough at, at, at the right right time, right place. It, it just lined up perfectly. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we won the big we won the Big West in 2002. We were ranked 15th in the nation. Um, basically, one hit wonders. Yeah. Again, a, a, mo- a motley, motley crew. You know, I transferred in for that one year to play second base. Uh, we had a transfer from UC Riverside, a transfer from USC, with, with some pieces there that were already there. Cameron Lowe, Bill Murphy, and some other auxiliary pieces that were already really, really good. Uh-huh. And man, it was a lot of fun. I mean, wow. it, it was. Yeah, yeah, I think of, of our starting. I think we had 12 players drafted off that team. Almost, I think eight of our starting nine all got drafted and we all signed. So it Just was a r- lot of fun, man. And that was 2002. Yeah. So like you said, one hit wonders. You guys come in there. That's it. You, Boom. Kick ass. Everyone. And then yeah. everyone, and then everyone was gone. Coach Batesville, he left the Fresno State. All, <laughs> our, all our starters were gone. And poor Steve Rousey, who took over the program, was basically left with an empty cabinet. And oh. it, it was, re- it's really hard to rebuild. Um, a program at Northridge based on the competition of, of Fullerton, Long Beach State, Santa Barbara. I mean, recruiting stuff there, you know, I experienced it as a coach, yeah. but um, so that's, that's why it was so special. That one year it happened where it didn't work out at Tech. I kicked back to Northridge and I set out 2001 and the year I ended up playing, um, it was a magical year. It was a lot of fun, um, both, you know, individually and as a team. So it was really cool. So you get drafted ninth round, correct? Out of yeah. Uh, out right. of that 2002 draft yep. by the Cleveland Indians, yep. you you go off to rookie ball, uh, or did you start mm-hmm. in Low A? I was in or, New York Penn League, which is a okay. short season. Yeah, it's like that yeah. buffer man between like sure. a traditional rookie league and a yeah and a, and a full season. So yeah. So and how did that go, man? Tell us a little bit about not the good, man. life I, in the yeah, minors. Yeah, I got a hand it to me pretty good that first summer. Um, did you? So my here's my first so my first game, you know, I'm coming off a, a really a really strong senior campaign at Northridge, you know, national player of the week at one point, all conference, the whole deal. Um mm-hmm. ended up being book money ball. Like it was just a good a good year. And so I my first professional game, I'm on deck and there's this kid on the mound warming up and he has glasses and a big wad of bubble gum and I look at the roster and it's like, Oh, he's from Hilo, Hawaii, or whatever, in high school kid. I was like, okay, okay, high school Johnny. I'm going to show you a thing or two. Mm-hmm. And I get in the box, and I he winds up, he throws a pitch by me. I don't think I saw it. <laughs> Strike one. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Okay. Well, <laughs> all right. Next pitch, same thing, by me. And I was like, oh, boy. 
Here, here we go. Yeah. Uh, next thing you know, I'm over four or three punch outs. My first professional game. Come to find out, that was um, a, a, a future big leaguer man. We faced him, and we faced Perkins the next night, and it was like, oh boy, yeah. I'm in for it. And I never, I, I, and then from then on, you know, it was my again. My we say it all the time. The first struggle, one of my first real struggles in baseball, man. And yeah, you playing every night, day in and day out. Um, Something I wasn't used to yet. Uh, you know, you three game series used to get at least a couple hits. Well, man, I was, I don't think I got my first professional hit for the first five games or something. And I, I just dug myself a pretty good hole and I beat myself up mentally. And finally, about midway, three quarters of the way through, I salvaged a season, man. I hit, hit like 226 or something, 220, whatever it was. But I did mm-hmm. hit some homers, hit some doubles. I still walked a lot. I still did some things that, was good, but over the whole, the first summer, man, it was really tough, you know, and I, plus I was yeah. a fifth year senior. I wasn't in a position to fail uh, per se compared to first rounders, high school kids. So a lot right. of pressure on myself. And that was my first experience of like, Oh boy, this is real. Um, but yeah. I mean, it, I mean, outside of that, though, it was a lot of fun, right? You're, you're playing baseball every night. Um, with, it's like college without the class. You're getting paid a little bit of money, had a host family. Yeah. Um, but again, that situation wasn't very good either. It was, it was a, a, a weird summer. Um, would you, uh, would you say they, uh, it, not saying that, you know, trying to make an excuse for you or whatever, but did the wood have any issue with that with you going from, no, from not college metal? No, no, no. So it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't the bad. It wasn't anything other than this, not Tough. being, just not being prepared, man, mentally, yeah. um, just beating myself up. Um, the, the physical, the, the, the taking care of my body off the field, I wasn't very good at the right. whole thing. Sleep, uh, what I was eating, the whole thing. How I was running. Sound, so, it, I was going to say, it sounds a little bit, a little uh, underestimation of the competition too, right? A little bit, man. A little, <laughs> a little bit, bit. Like, wow, little, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, man, I was like, oh, these guys are all good. Like, really, really good. And, yeah. But I still competed. You know, it was sure. like, completely got sure. dominated. I, I dug, the majority of it was my myself getting in my own way. Sure. And that led to that next yeah. year um, where it started to, to, to be a little bit more true of who I was going to be as a professional hitter, at least uh, a lot more competitive, um, bigger numbers for the most part. And, and here we go. So that first summer though, was a great learning experience for me um, for, for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you spent uh, five years in the minors or uh, five seasons all, like with, that. Yeah, OG, all with OG, the Cleveland OG, organization, OG, right? All with Cleveland. Yeah. All with Cleveland. Got, got a, I was a got the triple A for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. And at that time, and even still, the Indians have always been really good. Now, a lot of good players. Um, in a 2007 season, I was, I was that guy. I was older. I was like 27 and double A, 26, whatever it was. And mm-hmm. I could still play. There's no doubt. I could still play. I could still hit. I could still do a lot of things. But they came to me as like, hey, it's, we can let you, can let you go explore opportunities as a player, um, or we can offer you a player coach position to start your coaching career. Nah, I was in double A. And, and so I was like, okay. Yeah, right. give me some time to think about. So I thought about making some calls. I didn't want to go down the independent route. Um, the one thing Coach Basil used to say all the time, and it stuck with me, and, and, it, and it's not necessarily true for everybody, but it stuck for me. He said, you know, once 30, once 30 teams don't want you, once 30 major league teams don't want you, it's time to go. Right. So that stuck with me. I was like, okay, I'm not going to go play independent ball. It's not the route I want to go. Um, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. 27. Can I go play and extend this thing out for a couple more free agent seasons? Probably. Sure. I basically I have my bachelor's degree. I was educated. May have talked myself out of playing a handful more years, and who knows what happened? You never know. 
But right. I chose to start my coaching career because I was at a point where, hey, I could if I start this thing now at 26, 27, and I don't like it, I can still pivot and go a different direction. Right. Um, so I did. I, I got my stuff and moved from the, play, the players' locker locker room side to the to the coaches' offices and became a player coach in 2007. And funny thing is, I was on that side for the rest of the year, and I think I don't know about a month left, about a month left or so in the same season. Something happened with our roster. We didn't have guys, and they activate. I was activated. I played. <laughs> I got fifty at bats, and probably I tell the story to a lot of our players who are struggling mentally or whatever. Probably the best fifty game, fifty at bat stretch of my entire life. I don't care what level. And this is double A now. I struck out one time in fifty at bats, hit like three or four homers, hit well over four hundred, and I hadn't played in probably in two months. And I didn't get any at bats. I, I didn't. I was a coach. I went in the in the thing called the pro batter. Just got some I simulated at bats, hit breaking balls. But I remember after those fifty at bats, I was sitting in the locker room and I was going to be deactivated. I'd go back to being a coach. That was the deal. But I mm-hmm. remember thinking to myself, finally, or like that was that's what it feels like to just go play. Right. To just go play. Um, I had no pressure. There was no, if I didn't perform, it didn't matter. I wasn't going to get released. I wasn't going to get sent down. Um, if I did perform, I wasn't going to go up anywhere. It didn't matter. It was playing. I, for the first time in a long time, I was able just to go play, to go compete and have, and basically have fun. And I let myself do that for the first time. Isn't that crazy? For my whole professional career and probably a lot of my college career, just to go and have fun and, and compete at a really high level. And I did. And I remember sitting there thinking, damn, I like if I would have done that the whole time, like who knows, <laughs> you know, but yeah. And I tell that story just to put it in perspective, like it's hard and it's hard. We tell players all the time. It's like, just go play, have fun. But until you actually experience it, it's hard to explain the feeling. And sure. I get goosebumps just talking about it because it was, it was like this transformation, like, whoa. I bet. That was really that was really interesting, um, and that's bookmarked in my brain forever. And I tell that story as much as I can when it's relevant, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and depending on what the situation is. But that's what really well, hitting now. Like, whoa, you know? Yeah, I mean, well, you said it right there. It's just like you don't know it until you experience. So how? Exactly. I mean, you, could, you wouldn't be able. That story wouldn't have any merit to a kid that you're trying to convince if you hadn't lived it. I mean, you wouldn't be able to exactly. to paint that picture with him and get the goosebumps and say, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but this this happened to me and it was it was magical for however many days weeks it was, and you can go back and reflect and say, ah, oh, here's why I didn't give a shit. Right. You know, and not, no not saying that you didn't no care, doubt. but it's like you didn't have the pressure. No, no, like you said, yeah, you weren't going no for anything. External, there was no There's, external thing other than how good can I be yeah. for me against this pitcher tonight? Like my right. personal goal was not to strike. I, I didn't want to strike out. It was like that was yeah. a personal thing. I, I'm not going to let this dude strike me out, and I didn't. I maybe once. It's probably yeah. the umpire's fault, right? <laughs> but <laughs> of course. I, I I think the biggest, the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me, only not only just feeling that like whoa feeling, right? But it was more about how impactful experiences are like I had to experience that feeling so that that kind of led to my coaching philosophy early early on like how can we how can I help my guys get experiences that will help them understand concepts better and that kind of led to the you know the direction of the the practice formation and the conversations you have the environments you create Um, that was like a surface level thing for me and obviously I've gotten deeper into it now but that was kind of the first time where it really hit like wow experiences matter 
And how do we create those experiences for guys to have these revelations sooner? So it doesn't, mm-hmm. they're not at the end of their career. And I was like, oh man, if I would have done that earlier, you know, mm-hmm. um, that was, that was a really big turning point for me to understand that. Yeah. It's amazing uh, what age and experience can do, huh? Yeah. They say it for a reason, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it for a reason, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So co- coaching career gets kicked off Dude, yeah. with them. And then that was with the Indians, but yeah. then I'm looking that at was the race really start. So 2007, halfway through become a player coach that off season, I go to Nicaragua, coach winter mm-hmm. ball. Mm-hmm. Um, do that for four months. Awesome experience. In 2008, I go back to Akron and double A as a full-time player coach. Contractually, of course, I no there was not play. It was strictly coaching, um, basically a, a, an extra hand. Um, 2008. At the end of the 2008 season, uh, my player contract would be expiring, so mm-hmm. I was a free agent, basically as a player. Well, I wasn't playing anymore, and there wasn't a full-time coaching spot available with the Indians. Oh. So again, the question comes up: Hey, Lark, you want us mm-hmm. to hunt down something for you with different organizations? Uh, what, what do you what do you think you want to do down the road? You know, really gauging my interest in different avenues to try to help me out in the professional baseball world. And again, another crossroads. Like, okay, I'm 28 now, still at a point where I could do a lot of things. Um, my really good friend of mine, a teammate, his dad owned a business in Louisiana, a lucrative sales position. I was offered um, that or like go hunt down coaching positions. And I was like, you know what? I want to go make some money or at least think yeah. I want to go make some money and make real money for the first time in my life. Like start my sure. life, get a job, get a career and go do the thing called life right outside of baseball. So Let, I take I, a job. At, I mean, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to plug one hole real quick. Cause I want I think it might be uh, relevant to the story. You got your degree yeah. before you got drafted, yeah. right? You finished. Yeah. In, yeah. And, yeah. What, yeah. and what was yeah. your field of so, study there? Communication studies, it's not, I mean, okay. nothing specific, but it was a degree. And that was the other key sure. point. Like, I have, a, I have my degree. I'm done with yeah. school. Like, it's time, it's time to be a big boy, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess you could say. So, and season ends um, in 2008 with Akron. Um, about a week later, I drive my tr- pack up my stuff in my truck. I drive down to Louisiana and start this job in sales. Um, so that's probably September, October, whatever it is. Um, what were you selling? And by... So it's a company called TacTac. They they sell waste packaging. It's one of those businesses, industries that makes a ton of money, but no one knows about, right? Okay. So if you remember Hurricane Katrina, they were dropping those like um, those bags from the helicopters, like the the bag, like the the border, like the barriers and stuff. Uh huh. TacTac made those. Like that was TacTac's product. So big time stuff like that. Um, And I was going to be leading a, a, a branch called flexi tanks which are basically liners for um the, you know the big, the big mac trucks on the road they, they line those big things with this rubber basically container and you can fill it with wine or a concentrate juice or something called, it's called a flexi tank and i was okay. going to start that that branch for them anyway um that's like in what, september october i was back home in california by thanksgiving um I was sitting in a cubicle making cold calls to Canada all over and sat and like, this is not what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Um, right. Packed up my stuff. I called uh, Ken Revisa on the phone, discussed mental skills, avenues, um, degrees in that. He convinced me to join the program at Cal State Fullerton. I packed up my stuff. I'm back in California by Thanksgiving, uh, taking prereq classes uh, to go pursue my master's degree in sports mm-hmm. psychology. 
So I get home, I'm doing my thing, get my classes lined up. A buddy calls and says, Hey, I just got, I'm a new head coach at Newport Harbor High School. Come on, help me out. Uh, I told him no, probably 10 or 15 times. I'm not doing coaching. I'm not doing high school for sure. Mm-hmm. He ends up convincing me, man, uh, to go coach. You know, I can do some lessons out of Newport, the whole thing. So mm-hmm. I go, I go, I was like, fine. So I end up start coaching at Newport High School. I'm High School. i doing lessons on the side. I moved down to Huntington Beach um, and the hustle, man. I'm a high school coach making the no, nothing on the stipend. So I'm hustling sure. on the weekends, after practices, all across Orange County doing lessons. To do all that, plus take my classes for my prereq for master's degree, get through that season, and um, that was 2000, I guess, because 2000 what would have been 2010 season. Mm-hmm. That season ends, um, and I I was going to go to Orange Coast to, to coach help, um, coach junior college baseball in a different level of competition, do some lessons out of there. Mm-hmm. Well, still long in school. Short. Yeah. yeah, man, still crushing classes. Um, yeah. I'm getting towards the end of it now. Actually, by this time now, I'm in the master's program. I start the semester, and mm-hmm. Matt Curtis, who got the head coaching job at Cal State Northridge, calls me up. Uh, we go through a little bit of a process, and I end up getting a full-time assistant job at Cal State Northridge. So Big West, Division One school, full-time position, You know, making a lot more money than I had ever made my, to my life at that point, and the mm-hmm. insurance, the whole thing. And again, it's like, okay, do I take this career position or I stick out this master's degree thing? And I was like, you know what? I, again, time to start a career. So I, I jump, yeah. I take the job at Northridge. I, I coached there 2011, 2012. Get a call from Fresno State to go coach there for the 2013 season. And the fall of, two, basically the fall of 2012, I'm at Fresno State now. And, uh, it, it just it just didn't work, man. It just wasn't again wasn't for me. The whole the the rat race from college started to beat me up, and I at that time the Indians had a position available full time to go back and coach professionally to, with the best players in the world. Um, I took a major pay cut. Um, yeah. I didn't care. I jumped back on that, and that's what got me back into professional baseball. So 2013, now I'm a rookie ball hitting coach. 2014, a full season hitting coach. 2015 the manager of the full season team in Lake County at the end of the 2015 season the Los Angeles Dodgers so so in that time frame so I was the Indians 13 to 15 in that time frame I got my master's degree I got a master's degree in performance psychology Mm -hmm. um so at the end of the 2015 season the the Dodgers called Gabe Kapler called asked for permission to talk to me to bring me on as a coordinator, what my role is now. Um, that was the end mm-hmm. of 2015 season, and I've been a Los Angeles Dodger ever since. Wow, that's cool. Here we are, doing 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 what I'm doing now, man, and a really obviously a really crazy ride. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. A lot went on in a matter of five or six years, man. It sounds like it. Well, and this is what it's brings been me to really this. Cool. Yeah, this, this is what brings <laughs> me to this question. I mean, so not, that's that's a a friggin' boatload of moving around and doing <laughs> yeah. stuff. Without, yeah, yeah. without trying to freaking figure your masters out too. So, did you have to yeah, wear in the four hundred five out, just going to Northridge and Fullerton and Fullerton and Northridge every day? Or, uh, I mean, so, so when I so, so the Northridge and Fullerton, I, that when I went, when I took a job at Northridge, um, I, I I dropped out of the masters program, so I stopped oh, the masters program okay. and I restart I, and I picked up another program down with the Indians. I did a whole different deal. But when I was at when I was at Newport Harbor and Orange Coast doing the prereq stuff and I started it, it was I lived in Huntington, 
lived in Huntington Beach, drove to um, Newport for the Newport Harbor team. From Newport, uh-huh. I would drive to Anaheim. Anaheim would do lessons like at night. And then from Anaheim to Fullerton, Fullerton back to Huntington. Jesus. Yeah. Just hustling, man. And then and there's a couple of spots in between the Fountain Valley. I was at a facility a couple of days a week there. So it was like covering Orange County for lessons and class, night class. It was it was a grind, man. It, but it was great. I always thought to myself, this is, I, I never complained. I was like, this is, I, I see it hit me. This is what I was doing. I was fully invested with what I was doing. I was on, on a path. And right. that's just what I had to do to, to, to get it all done, to, to do what I wanted to do and to, well, you'd already what you looked, had to do. So, and you already, you already looked at the other options that you've already gone through the sales job. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I know I don't right. want to do that. So that, you know, that makes it a little bit, uh, you know, easier for you to, to keep continuing on the path, knowing what's on the other side, say, well, right. Definitely right. don't want to do that um, again. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh it was a cool, it was an experience that I'll never forget, man, just in terms of you got to do what you got to do at some point. And it's a, yeah. it's a grind sometimes it's hard. And I tell my wife all the time, like there was nights where I would just, Go back. I was living at my buddy's house. He played in the NFL, and he actually had a house. I, I let me live in there for free, thank God. And mm-hmm. I still can't barely afford. Like I was like, I go stop at Albertsons, the grocery store, and get like a one of those big loaves of French bread and peanut butter and jelly, and I eat that for like two days. And after I got home, like I shit all I your money was going like, to gas. God, exactly. <laughs> I had a big old truck. Like yeah, it was brutal. So spending a uh, hundred bucks a yeah, week in man. gas, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Plus trying to figure out how I'm going to pay for classes, the whole thing. So yeah, it, it's been a really cool ride. And you know, once I got back into professional baseball, it, it really slowed down. Now the travel has mm-hmm. been crazy this past year or two. Has, has been better. You know, have a have a nice stable home base here in Texas, but. What was the toughest part about getting to where you are right now? As far as that journey, you just told me the whole damn thing sounds yeah. tough, but did something yeah. mentally that was challenging for you on a daily basis, weekly basis, or was it just the physical commuting back and forth and putting it all together? But what was the toughest part for you? Yeah, I tell you what, for me, the toughest part, the, the, the toughest transitional points were the decisions I had to make um, for me, okay. like the, the grind, the hustle, the driving, yeah. all that, like it didn't bother me. Like I it, once you were committed, you were in it. Yeah, yeah, I'm in, man. Never had, as a player, I had to, I had to prove. I had to work hard again. So that that part of me is ingrained. Like, I don't care about working hard and having. It doesn't bother me. It was the decision, the transitional decisions, man. Do I leave this lesson and master's yeah. program thing and go take a job at Northridge? Do I leave Northridge to go to Fresno State? Do I leave Fresno State to go to the Indians? Do I leave the Indians to go to the Dodgers? Like, yeah. Those big decisions. Do I do I stop coaching and join the sales force, or do I do I do I become a coach and keep playing? Like those are, to me, those are the hardest ones. You, you don't want to mess. You don't want to mess up. You, know, you well, don't want to make the wrong if. decision. Yeah, yeah you, got, so, you get the what if on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So those to me, those are the toughest points. Like God, what do I do? What do I do? And and you're you're weighing the positives and the negatives, and and you're trying to weigh in the stuff you don't even know about, and. What I learned from all that, though, is like you just make a decision and go, you know, and that's what I've always yeah. to this point now just done. Like you make a decision. What's the worst case scenario? If I'm OK with the worst case scenario of my decision, if I'm OK with it, I'm in. Like, I'm, and that's how I make my decisions now. Yeah. Like, are we OK with the worst case? Fine. Let's go then. We'll make it work. It's going to be hard and potentially and we don't know what's going to happen. But um, again, we're smart enough. We have a little enough of life experience. We're good with people. Yeah. Um, 
it's going to work out. And you know, you're going to land on your feet. Yeah. 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 Um, one way or the other. Right. So that's what's got me to this point. But I think like your question, the hardest points for me were like, what, making the decision and telling people I'm leaving and telling people no, and potentially Mm -hmm. letting someone down. Like those are hard, those are hard. That's hard for me to do at times. Um, I think why a lot of people out there struggle with that, not just in the baseball world, just in everyday life with being in jobs that they hate or being mm -hmm. in relationships that they can't get out of or they think they can't Mm -hmm. get out of. I I think Mm -hmm. you hit it right there. It comes down to those decisions are are so hard and they, you know, we constantly go back and forth with the what if I stay, what if I go, what if I choose this or choose that, that mm-hmm. you get you get uh, paralyzed to the point where you can't make the decision. Exactly. And so jammed up. Yep. And, and you just made a great point. I, lo- I love talking to you, man, because you, you make my job easy. I don't have to ask the questions. You're, <laughs> you're, you're leading right into the next question, then answering yeah. it before I even have to say it. But, you know, that's yeah. that's exactly it. If you can get past that commit to your decision and then go for it. Then you're on the road. Right. And you don't have to worry about it. Just go. There is no, so, right. You know, until you get to the next turn. Exactly. Exactly. You know? I think the word commitment to me is, is a big one. I, I use it a lot and it, it carries a lot of weight. I think the word commitment gets thrown around. They don't, no one really knows what it means. Now. But once you commit to something and you're really committed, mm-hmm. here's a question for you. How do you know you're committed to something? How do you know you're committed to something? That's a good question. I would say that when I commit to something, I know that there's not going to be anything that's going to stand in my way to accomplish what it is I'm setting out to accomplish. Exactly. So when you're, yeah, when you're committed to something, it happens. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. Right. Yeah. You you know, you're committed to something when it happens. So, and people don't, they don't think these are going to try. Like, no, either you're committed or you're not. So once you're committed, it happens. So if I'm committed to doing X, and I'm really, truly committed to the, the, the relationships I have, the, the conversations I have, the stuff I do off the field, whatever it is, all lines up to accomplishing that goal. I'm committed. Right. I mean, that goes like you already mentioned relationships. Like if you're committed to your marriage where you're, you're going to communicate the right way, you're going to take care of things the right way, you're going to make sure you have, you know, like you take care of If you're committed, all that stuff takes care of itself. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what's led me to this point. Like I'm committed to my job now and or any job I decide if I'm going to do this, I'm going to commit to it. Let's go. And, good things and that's why the decision, and it's probably why the decisions are so hard because you know, exactly. once you commit to yeah. it, you yeah. better be at least 99%, <laughs> you know, right in the, in that, cause you're yeah. going to commit to it. Uh, and there's nothing worse than committing to something and then finding out halfway through it that you didn't even want it. You, you know, it oh wasn't even, yeah, that's a, that's, yeah, that's a that's, tough conversation. With yeah, yourself. I, I learned that. Yeah. At, yeah, I learned that at Fresno State. I took the job at Fresno State, leaving leaving a program and Coach Curtis at, at Northridge when we were. It was a new program. You know, we're we're trying to reboot it, and we're on the cusp of getting that thing turned around. And I left it, um, probably for the wrong, totally wrong reasons. Um, and looking back at that, I learned a lot from that. Like, you don't chase don't chase money. You don't chase yeah. external things, man. And I left my heart at Northridge with, with what we were trying to build and all the energy and effort we were, were putting into that thing. And I left it for the wrong reason. And like you just said, halfway through, man, it was like, this is not me. So now, not only have I already told Coach Chris, I'm out, I left. Now I got to go tell Coach Basil, hey, man, this isn't for me. You know, mm-hmm. and leave him hanging. Um, so it, it, really, it, really, it really helped me long-term decisions like, hey, if you're going to change, if you're going to shift course, the decision you're about to make is going to affect two sides, right? Three, yourself and then the two people associated with it. 
you better be pretty confident or committed to the next decision because there's mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, counting on you. Mm-hmm. That's how, at least how I look at it. And, sure. and and if you, if you care about relationships and you care about people and you want to do things the right way, decisions like that shouldn't be very easy. If, if it's not detrimental to you and your health. Right. So that's right. Um, that's a great point. And, and it, and it, and it should be right. I mean, we should be doing this be, to, yeah. to maintain these right. relationships and to exactly do that, exactly. to build that. What is, uh, are you living your dream job right now? Or is, uh, is there another one bigger and, and brighter and uh, that's in the back of your mind? You want to manage a big league team someday or what's your dream job? You know, man, I, I'm in baseball and I'm in, a, I'm in a role that I created hand in hand with, with Gabe Kapler. Um, uh, my hands are a lot of different things and a lot of aspects of our player development system. Um, I have, I have impact on, on people. I have an impact on our culture. I have an impact on our process and how we do things. Um, what more would you want when you right. have impact on people, process and, and culture and a position that, uh, you yourself personally created. And oh, by the way, it's for, in my mind, the best organization of all sports. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's going to be, it'd be it, so for me to think about anything else, it just doesn't happen. Um, I, there is no other dream job. I have no aspirations to do anything else because I, I am a firm believer. Once you start looking for the next job, you lose impact on the job you have now. Um, so my, sure. my goal right now is to dominate my role, uh, continue to prove I'm even qualified for the role I have. Mm-hmm. And I owe it to the organization to, per my contract to do the best I possibly can with what I'm doing now. So if I try to look forward past it any in any in any regard, yeah. I leave a stronghold on what I do really well. And that's what I'm doing now. So you know, not to say if something comes up and someone asks for permission to contact me or a role or whatever that comes up, um I would try I I, I would listen to an extent, depending on what the role is, depending on the people that I'd be involved with on, on the next phase of things are. Um right. but that is that doesn't even cross my mind at this point. My wife has to see what's next or uh, comes up all the time. And right. I get stumped because, because there isn't, I mean, what else, what else would I want other than, other than actually winning the world series and being on the actual field with a team that does it? Like, I don't know. That, that'd be really cool. Of course. Sure. But what, what's, what's the cost going to be to get to that point? I don't know. Um, and that would have to be a, a, a conversation and decision. I'd have to go through and work through a process of my own to, to decide. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, yeah. and then you've got the old, uh, you know, it may not even be in your control at some point. You know, sometimes there is no that doubt, happens, right. right? So all of a sudden, the and Dodgers, you know, yeah. say we're done with you. Okay, now what right. do I do? So right. we'll cross that bridge exactly. when we get to it. Yeah, right. Or or have an aspiration to manage a major league team, or have a specific role, right? Or be on a major league coaching staff. Like that could be your your goal and aspiration and all you want. But until someone actually calls and offers you or in an interview and to can't think in that particular it, yeah. role, you, what are you going to do? It's not like you can go make it happen. Uh, you can do a really good job of what you're doing now and hopefully get noticed. But like you said, like you can have all these goals and everything and, and that's going to be your driving force. But at some point, someone has to hire you for those positions. So yeah. it is yeah. in the hands of other people to some regard. It's not like going to school and taking classes. You're in complete control of that. Um, this is a whole different thing. All you can control is the job you do. And the byproduct of that would be potentially other opportunities. Um, so yeah, that's What's why your, I don't drive. That's, that doesn't drive me to do something else because yeah, at some point I don't have. Yeah. What is your uh, I don't know, like fa- favorite thing to do within this job? Do you like uh, designing 
the practice plans and everything and putting together the strike. I know you like it all, I, but is there one thing that stands I mean, is, you love being out on the field and maybe one-on-one with an infielder, just 15, 20 minutes you get yeah. with a guy or or in the cage yeah. or something like what, what is it yeah. that gets you juiced? I, it is, it's, the, it's being in the dirt and, yeah. and, and being challenged by environment creation. You know, what, what we do today, how's that going to drive tomorrow? What's this conversation going to be like with this player today? Um, how am I going to make sure I incorporate him into the process? And then on the back end of it, watch it all come to fruition uh, mm-hmm. for the player, for himself, and, and watch uh, to watch another individual uh, leave the field that day in a, in a mindset and in a, in a, in a, in a fired up because of what just happened and the environment we created together. Um, mm-hmm. Gives me goosebumps again just talking about it. Just yeah, being in there, being in the mix with a, with a with a player or a group of players trying to help them get to where they want to go for that day, for that month, for their career, and potentially have a little bit of impact based on a conversation or whatever we just created together um, is really cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I think any, any good coach that really cares about players will, will tell you that exact same thing. It's not about wins and losses and championships. That's part of it. That's going to be the byproduct, but Watching someone leave your leave the field that day in a better place than when they came, and you were kind of there just with them. Um, not mm-hmm. saying that it was because of you, but you just you happened to to experience something with them and, and to watch it happen. Um, yeah. it's, it's a really cool thing that's really hard to describe unless you're actually doing it. So for some of the people that may be listening here, you give us a quick rundown on what the job description is and what you do on a daily basis or seasonal basis. Right. So my role, my role is the coordinator of skill development. So what I do is I was hired on to take traditional baseball training and flip it on its head. How can we create better practice environments, whether it's hitting, defense, pitching, whatever it is, how, how we practice, mm-hmm. how can we do it better? Um, and that has been my role to, to bring in different ideas and different theories, write our framework on our development strategies and how we develop our players in our practice settings, how we use machines, how we, how we take ground balls, how we develop throwing programs, how we throw bullpens, how we, how we do our pregame BP or how we, how we work in the cage, um, during the day and on a day to day basis. That's, mm-hmm. that's my crux of my job is how do we develop our players from a physical standpoint and mental standpoint. Mm-hmm. better than it has been done in the past, utilizing all the different technologies, different machines, different theories, different concepts, experiences, all of these things. And then, oh, by the mm-hmm. way, individualizing it for the player. Um, mm-hmm. So that is what I, that is what my hands are on a daily day basis. And then of course I take over the infield program and design those programs for those guys and what they need uh, for infielders. So again, my hands are on a lot. Um, is but there... it, it's a lot of it's a lot of staff development, educating our staff on on coaching philosophy, on practice design, on practice philosophy, and why why certain things work the way they do or why they don't traditionally, or how we can get outside that a little bit more without getting too far away from what's worked in the past. Also, um, mm-hmm. so it's this mm-hmm. really cool balancing act of what my hands are in, and I kind of lead the charge in that. You did. You did it right there. You answered what I was just going to ask you again. Was uh, as far as yeah. like a, a staff goes. Are you are you in charge of coaching the coaches too, or do you guys have a role for that? Is there a coaching development uh, guy that? that yeah, I mean, and any, I think yeah, I think any coordinator role is, is part of that is is developing our staff members on the affiliate level. Um, 
So yeah, it's it's uh, my job really is to educate our staff in my area, right? Practice mm-hmm. design, skill, motor learning, skill development, and anything new I hear or anything our our coaches will hear and they'll bounce questions off me all the time. Hey, Lark, what do you got on this? What do you got on that? What do you mm-hmm. think about this drill or that drill? And yeah, it, I don't see I don't have I don't have a staff. I think we're all in this thing together. I have a particular title, and all that means is. When someone asks me a question about anything in that area, I better have an answer for, um, mm-hmm. in my mind at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, man, I, I lean on our coaches a lot um, about the push and pull and how is this looking, how is this working out. I know we talked about doing this particular drill setting on these particular days. How is that working out? Like, I don't know. A lot of it's trial and error too. So, yeah. Um, uh, if, if then that's how our structure is set up. And that's what makes us special, I think, is that there isn't, these like well-defined lanes and titles and it goes through this chain of command. Now there is, you know, everyone's in a loop, but it's, we sure. take a neighborhood approach. It's a village approach. And we're, again, we're all in this thing together. And I think mm-hmm. the titles yeah. and roles are just there for HR. You know what I mean? So right, right. Uh, that's what makes Wait. us special. Uh, just from talking to you here, it, it doesn't sound like this was a job that uh, was in your mind along your journey here mm-hmm. that you thought, mm-hmm. you know, here I am coaching at Fresno. What can I do? Oh, I know I could get into player development. Or, so, <laughs> right, so, right, right. What, so looking, <laughs> looking back and now seeing how you got there, you, I don't know how much you, you spend thinking about this, but let's just say you had someone that was up and coming that you wanted to give some advice to say a kid, you know, coming out of college says, man, I'd love to, to do what you do. How do I, how would I do that? Would, would you mm. paint the same picture that you followed or, or, you know, the same route road that you took, or would you, do you have any other advice that maybe you could give to them? Yeah. So one of the worst questions I think is ever asked in an interview process. And I think even our people ask us about it, which is fine, but it's like, what, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh yeah. And yeah, oh, I don't understand that. I, I don't know because there potentially might be a role. Fine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. My role that isn't even around yet. So yeah. I don't know. Uh, and how am I supposed to tell you I want to manage or be a hitting coach or X something I'm not right now, how can I tell you I really want to do that until I've actually done it? Right. I don't know. Like, if you if you were asking me at Fresno State, which is what I did, like, what do you want to do? Oh, well, I want to be a professional hitting coach. Well, mm-hmm. that soon turned into, well, I would, actually, I want to manage. And that turned into what my role now. Like, I think I want to be a coordinator. Like, Because the so opportunity was presented to you, right? You yeah, didn't know. And, and I was prepared for it now. Like, I was yeah. prepared for the opportunity. Here it goes. But so the original the original conversation was to be a mental skills coordinator. And at that particular time, I didn't want to be pitch- at that, at that particular point, then I didn't want to be pigeonholed and being a just, a, just a mental skills guy. I wanted to be in the dirt. I wanted to be to leverage my baseball knowledge and academic knowledge. Right. And it kind of, mm-hmm. it kind of morphed into the role I have now, but yeah, you asked me however many years ago, if I hey, you want to be the coordinator of skill development, I've been like, what? What, what is that talking about? Right. Motor learning, <laughs> what, skill acquisition, what like what? <laughs> Ecological dynamics, nonlinear pedagogy, like you out of your mind. I just want to go yeah. coach hitters, man. Yeah. Um, so I would think I, my, my advice to anybody would be just learn as much as you possibly can about as much as you can within, the, within the sport. Right. Sure. And then put yourself in those environments. So yeah. if you want to be a, a high school coach, go coach high school players. If you want to be a, a college coach or division one college coach, Go put yourself in college environment. If yeah. you want to be a pro coach, like hunt down jobs and professional baseball. 
And it may not be the role you have envisioned for yourself down the road. You might start as a video coordinator or a video, a video guy and an affiliate, and your real goal is to be a farm director. Well, if you got to be a farm director, you have to be in professional baseball. And right. if your ticket is to be a video guy right now to get around that environment, do it. You can't become a farm director being a, a college coach. <laughs> you know what I mean? So exactly. Uh, yeah. My my, no, my my thing my advice ultimately would be figure out what level and what where you want to be and then put yourself in, in those environments. Yeah. And then and then learn as much as you can about what you want to do as much as you can and be, totally immerse yourself in, in the culture of where, whatever you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. and then as and as you as you learn and as you gain experiences and talk to people that funnel starts to get really thin and all of a sudden you find where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That sounds, that sound, uh, logic right there. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah. it makes total sense. Put yourself in the environment that you want to be in and, uh, and work through it and find out what other, exactly. other, exactly. other opportunities might, might come about. And like you said, you, you the, the next job could be something you don't even know exists right now. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I think I, yeah, I think when I ask any young coach, they're like, I, I, "Hey, what do you, what do you think you want to do?" And if if, if a young coach or front office kid or whoever it is says, "You know, I really don't know," I respect that answer a lot more than uh, and you know major league manager. And like, you know that's okay, so funny man. too, like, because most guys won't say that. Or, you know, right, most, pe- they're afraid. most people, like, they're yeah. afraid that's a bad answer. They're afraid that they're, they're no. showing that they don't know something, you know, it just, it, yeah, that's what a great I point. Think man. Saying, I think, I, I think answering with an, I don't know, takes more courage and more, actually more knowledge than giving some ridiculous answer just to have an answer. It, takes, you think, yeah. it takes more to say you don't know. Um, and that's yep. okay. If someone says they don't know, it means they may have thought about the process more than having an answer. Um, mm-hmm. just because they don't, don't really know, like, Hey, I want to be a major league hitting coach. Okay. Do you know what goes into being a major league hitting coach to really know that's what you want to do every single day? It can be yes, but do you really know what that role does? <laughs> uh, not really. Well, here's yeah. what this role does. Um, they're there all day, all night, watching video, watching numbers. Da, da, da. It's, it's more than just coaching swings, man. You're dealing yeah. with like major league egos, all-stars. Uh-huh experiences and the market everything and then the minute the team hits 220 as a team you get fired you you. (laughs) so do you you really want that which is fine like i'm not saying that's a bad job i'm not saying it's a bad role i just don't think people think through the role of their potential role that they want down the road enough to to, to be prepared mentally for it or just be prepared for the interview or opportunity to get it so you wind that back to being a high school graduate baseball stud in his in his uh, local town, like you said, uh, all front yard, all backyard, yeah, and uh, yeah. and here it is. I want to play college baseball. Okay, that's right. great because you're pretty good at the game. But have you thought about exactly what it takes to play baseball in college with the academics, with the travel, with the scheduling, with the right. workout? You know, I mean, right. you've right. lived it, you know it, so you can ask right. those questions to a kid. And when I have these conversations with kids and we start to give them the reality check, it's amazing how quickly you see their the light go off like, well, shit, never thought about that. Maybe I don't right. want it. Maybe I don't 
want to go down this road right now. And maybe I should yeah, step back yeah, and think not, about, not, you know, yeah, not yet. Right, right, right. You got to do know, laundry. Right? You write a check. Can you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Can you make dinner? Like, <laughs> yeah. Can you can get you your ass up at 530, get to the gym, yeah, come eat, go eat breakfast and then go to class. Can you do that? Every day. Right. <laughs> and then practice. Oh, by the way, have some sort of social life that's not going to affect what you're trying to do long term. Like, right. Don't so go into a cave. Things, man, if, if I, if I would have left, if I would have left La Quinta High School in 1997 at 17 years old and gone across the country to the University of Michigan, I would have been back in California before I would have known it. Just, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been ready yet. I would, I, right. I would have got wrapped up in the football. I would have got wrapped up in the basketball. I just would have. Like, I didn't sure. know me. Like, I would have got wrapped up in the fun at that particular time. Mm-hmm. Um, in my life, um, and this whole process and course may look have looked completely different. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe not. Yeah. Maybe the coach would have. I don't know. But I don't. No, that's a significant. It's, yeah, it's, it's a significant hard, time in a young man's life. It's a, a significant yeah. time in you know in adulthood. And like you just said, you you haven't been out on your own. You don't know how to take care of yourself yet. And you know, even though it might, even though you might know more than some, but you, you knew yourself and you, you were smart enough to have enough self-awareness to say, Hey man, I can't do that. I mean, I, I did the same thing. You know, I joined the Marine Corps. That's how bad, mm-hmm. that's how bad I knew that I didn't want to go off to college and, and continue this journey because I was looking for some, somebody to slap me around and say, you need some structure here. You need some discipline right. and you need to figure out right. how to, to, to be you know, independent and do things without uh, anybody around to help you. And Definitely. coming out of coming out of that experience, uh, going off and doing that, and coming back to reality or uh, to a uh, civilian life, man, sitting in a classroom was easy. You know? <laughs> yeah, after, yeah, yeah. After yeah, that, yeah. I was like, wow. I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. And yeah. uh, but you know, again, that's why. Again, I talk to to kids when they're at that that crossroads, and it's like, hey, just just because everybody's telling you you got to go to college right now doesn't mean you have to mm-hmm. if you're not feeling it and you you know mm-hmm. there's something else driving you man maybe you're really good at computers or or you're working on cars or building shit then right. pick, a, pick up a trade go do something yeah. that makes you get out of bed and want to go and do something that you enjoy doing and it doesn't mean yeah. these other things aren't going to be there you, you know right, right you can always circle back around like when you were 27 you said hey i could go yeah, do this man. now and always, i can always come back and do this if, exactly. if it doesn't work out Exactly. Um, yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. Like, I mean, I get questions all the time and, you know, dad, I'm, I'm struggling with my 10 year old son. He just doesn't give his effort on the field and all that. What, what, what can, how can I coach him? Yeah. And it's like, well, um, <laughs> a, I don't know what, what's causing the behavior <laughs> problem, but two, like, does he even like playing baseball? Yeah. Like, are you sure? Yeah. And, and if you think so, how do you know that? Like, you know, yeah. so that's, that's one point off of that. Another, another point, I think Peter Caliendo asked me like, you know, I have a two-year-old son, you know, and he's my little guy. And we play ball and we kick the ball and we hit balls. And, we, we you know, he's my little dude. And mm-hmm. yeah, at some point in time, he, he may ask, um, hey, Dad, I want to just play this. I just want to play baseball. Or I just want to play football. Whatever it is, I, I just want to do X and just, like, specialize in it. And that comes up all the time. And how are you going to handle that, Sean? Like, well, I, I don't know. So I'm not going to push him to do anything he doesn't want to do. But when mm-hmm. the time comes when he wants to commit to something, the conversation isn't going to be, um, okay, I'm going to make you do this and that. The other, it's going to be, are you sure? Do you mm-hmm. know what it's going to take to be a professional baseball player? Or you want to go to a certain college? Okay, that's fine. But here are the steps that you have to think about to get you there. Mm-hmm. That's, if you want to do it, that's great. I'm going to support whatever you want to do. But 
I'm not going to push you. I'm not going to be the helicopter parent. We're not doing that. But as long as you understand, this is what we're going to commit to do. Here are the steps that are going to be along the way. And it's going to be hard. Right. There's going to be times it's going to suck. Um, but so when we get to those points, we've, con- we've talked about this. And that's the approach I think is more realistic than you have to, you have to, you have to. Because it's not for me, man. It's going to be for you. And, to and add if, to- you're not in, if you're not in on it, it's going to be a real struggle. Um, yeah. And it's not fun for anybody. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. You talking to the kid on the other side, you know, I'm supporting you. I'm behind you, Hunter. Way, but yeah, you just yeah. got to convince you just got to convince me that it's what right. you, want. you know. Don't, exactly. don't just give me this. I want to, yeah. you know, this is what I want to do because it popped into my right. head today, and it seems like a cool no, thing to man. do. If you can give me right. one or two solid reasons to prove that you've done some research on what it's going to take to commit to this, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm all mm-hmm. for it. I'm behind you, hundred percent. Let's do it. But you know, right. if the kid can't do that, then you probably ought to send him back to the well. Right. And that's, that's the problem with like, I think not a problem, but one of the down, one of the pitfalls of social media potentially is, is that we, we just see the end result. We see one really good swing or we see Tom Brady win another Super Bowl. We just see the one snippet and everyone wants this hack. Like mm-hmm. we, there is no hack, man. Like there, if you, you want to be Tom Brady, great. But do you know his process? Like just, do you know like, what he did? Or or anybody, like anybody that's on, yeah. you know, any a high school kid showing his highlight reel, like, okay, that's good. But yeah. why don't you show all the failures that have gotten you to this point? Like, and that's why people look for these, like, short-term hacks, like, how do I get here faster? Well, yeah. there is no faster. Like, there's a process to this that people just don't show. And I don't, I don't know why. The, maybe it's a vulnerability thing or the embarrassment. Like, dude. I wish people showed more failure than they do the good because that's 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 the main part of the, the dish here, man. Oh yeah. So yeah. I think laying that out for my kid down the road and our players as much. I tweet a lot about like process and environment and failure. Like that is what it really is. Now you don't accept failure. There's a difference between acknowledging that's going to happen and accepting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of it. So I think that's part of the commitment piece. Yeah. Um, and so if you understand that you're going to be able to navigate the tough times a little bit easier than if you don't. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's what I think is a good guiding principle. No, that, that's, that's beautifully said. Perfect. Uh, great stuff, man. Well, look, man, I, I really enjoyed talking to you again. I think uh, <laughs> yeah. we just got, we could yeah, just keep going for, for a while, oh, man, no but doubt, I, man. Yeah, I don't no want to, I don't want to keep you from, uh, from your, your, uh, you know, family life. I appreciate it, buddy. Thanks again. Thanks, Vic. I appreciate going. your time, man. Let me know when you're in town. You got it, man. Safe travels. We'll talk to you All soon. Right, Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Love the Game, Live the Dream, brought to you by World Baseball Experience. If you haven't had a chance, check out the website. I encourage you to do so. That's www.worldbaseballexperience.com. Some good stuff over there. Check out the site. Pass it along to your friends and family and any other baseball enthusiasts that you come across. We appreciate your support. Of course, there's uh, Facebook, Twitter links, uh, YouTube channel, all that good stuff over there. Again, that's www.worldbaseballexperience.com. And I hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. Take care.